Welcome, bienvenue, konnichiwa. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 183 on Sunday the 9th of May. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Ben. I'm Armish Matt. And tonight's returning guest is a YouTuber and a purveyor of independent, fact-focused, non-ideological content on YouTube, Malin Baker. How are you doing, Malin? I'm doing all right. Did Great I get to be here again. I nearly nailed your catchphrase there. <laughs> you nearly did, you nearly did. It's, uh, it's pretty important, though, what you're doing, because this is uh, severely lacking in the current uh, paradigm, cultural paradigm. Would you not agree? Well, I mean, yes, uh, we live in polarised times, and the, the trouble is that, of course, it's easier to get views by playing to the polarisation because the whole YouTube mechanism and, and Facebook and everything else as well, to be fair, is set up to try to generate clicks and to try to keep you on the sites, and it does that more easily by encouraging you to go deeper and deeper into rabbit holes than it does for you to stand slightly back and and take an objective view so all of the incentives push the other way and and i sort of had to decide that okay well i was going to accept that i wasn't necessarily doing myself any favors in terms of growing to be a a a monster youtube megastar which obviously was the whole point of doing it otherwise why bother um, I was just going to have to go the slow lane and, and feel sort of somehow morally happy that I was making the right choice while going down to glorious defeat. So that's my unique selling point, I guess. Do you not feel, though, that by taking that route probably promotes longevity in some aspects rather than being a well, flash we, in the pan? We we cling to these possibilities. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there are all sorts of uh, wishful thinking things that I can grasp like lead balloons as they pass before my eyes. Um, I mean, look, to be fair, I think that it's one of these things that once you start to get a certain momentum, it will it will gain its own speed. Um, it's just that some of the things that are there to enable early pushes don't necessarily work for you but certainly you know i have been building an audience gradually and um the people who are attracted to the content are people who are in the spirit of the kind of things that i'm interested in so you know they are a quality audience for me and 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 building that rather than just getting lots of massive exposure to people who are not really that interested but sort of come for the the drama <laughs> you know well it's it, it ultimately it's more satisfying i guess mm. you know uh, you know last time you came on i think it was back in early june and if i remember correctly you had just had your first video demonetized Quite possibly, yes. Yeah, yes, it's been a few. It's been a few more since those. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, how's how have things panned out over the last nearly twelve months as far as censorship and, and other things going? 
Not too bad. I mean, the, you see, the thing is, because I deal with topics that are often sensitive, um, albeit from a you know, incredibly, some would say, boringly sensible uh, standpoint, YouTube, it will trip all sorts of tripwires for YouTube because they, these are subjects about which it is rather sensitive because, after all, there are a bunch of people sticking some mildly dubious and, and, and often extremely dubious content about their subjects. <laughs> well, absolutely. So, and, and you know, some of the things that I've done, I never know if they're going to fit that category or not, because I might think that they're sensible. But if I review a book that Amazon has decided is so radical, it won't sell it, even though as far as I can see, it's a perfectly sensible book. And I talk about the subjects that it covers and I, you know, promote some of the, the, the arguments that it makes. I have no idea what YouTube is going to make of that. Well, so far, it's generally demonetized on first sight. The algorithm says, oh, we're a bit worried about this. I then appeal, and then a human being or something vaguely resembling one looks at it and then restores it. That's the usual thing. You know, by which time most of your audience have already viewed it, so you've lost most of the income anyway. But it wasn't that YouTube... you. Know, punished you deliberately and purposely for transgressing it's just that you're walking a fine line and and by mm. default it plays safe what is happening at the moment is that the channel's being choked for traffic and i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm an i'm an anti-conspiracy theorist in many ways that said these platforms do have policies that you know, around content and it's kind of it was either a tweak to the algorithm that did not favour the content that I'm producing, which had no interest in me whatsoever. You know, it was just a tweak to the algorithm, and, and I was one of the ones that lost out from it. Because about five or six well-performing videos, evergreen videos that were just doing well, they all just plummeted all at once. You know, right. from 600 views an hour, it went down to about 30 views per hour just like almost overnight. Oh. So it's either, either a tweet to the algorithm or they've put me into a shadow box, a naughty corner that just says, well, we're not going to do anything dramatic like kick this person off. But, you know, let's just not promote this stuff. We'll just, you know, keep it in its box. I don't know which of those or if there's a third option, but that's been happening for the last month or two. So, you know, it's slightly irksome, but there you go. Have you, have you had any other contact with any other YouTubers who maybe have experienced the same thing? Not directly. Um, I mean, I've been aware of one or two of the, the, you know, generally it happens to people when they've gotten bigger than I am, right. you know, and, and it becomes a much bigger deal and they get loads of people asking questions and it goes higher up and all that kind of stuff. In terms of those of us who are not big enough to have clout, exactly how this sort of thing plays out and how it works. I'm, I'm not aware of, of, of that, really. My, my basic philosophy is that you keep on going, keep trying to do good content, and if it's going to be a word of mouth and other platforms that make you grow, you know, so be it. You know, but my, yeah. my basic suspicion is that it will magically resolve itself at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'm just. It'd be good to at least know if you're actually being targeted, or whether this is a 
tweet, like you said, a tweet to the general algorithm, which is just affecting certain content, you know, on the yeah. whole. That's what you really would like to know, isn't it? Because my videos are categorised by default as news and politics. And the thing is that when it comes to news and politics, YouTube has active processes that favour the established news agencies, the BBCs and the MSNBCs and so on and so on. Well, that's been the case for some time, and that wasn't necessarily stopping the growth of the channel. It was getting 100 new subscribers a day and and the, the viewer figures that I mentioned before. And that didn't change when suddenly it changed and suddenly there's no growth whatsoever in subscribers and, and the channel, channel's being choked. But it might be something related to that. It might be that they've changed it so that news and politics things are now you know, really heavily only favouring. And maybe I should try doing a few videos that aren't categorised that and just try some things and see what works. But at the end of the day, I'd rather just focus on the content and the people that like it will talk about it and it will grow in its own time. And, you know, I'll just have to wait another year before making the first million. So, you know. <laughs> Speaking Just another of, year. It's been quite a few years already, so what's another one? You mentioned uh, other platforms. We've recently had to start an Odyssey account because one of our videos got taken off without... Oh, really? Yeah. What was your video about that got taken off? Demon Sperm. Oh, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, can't have, you can't expect YouTube to be putting up with demon sperm flying around its platform. That's, yeah, uh, we had uh, demonolog- demonologist Nathaniel Gillis on uh, talking about demon sperm. I don't think it'll be anything to do with Matt suggesting that uh, Prince Philip was killed by the vaccine. Right. Uh, well, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a close run thing between that and demon sperm, I suppose. It was uh, a joke. Though. It was so a if, joke. If, if the algorithm actually listened to the to the content rather than uh, sort of just screening it, then yeah, you know, if it was a human, then maybe they would have sort of made a different decision. Well, we had an email today saying that it it had been reviewed on appeal, but and it yeah. had a it, 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 it had a close look at it. And obviously, they didn't get your joke, Matt, because uh, oh, really, you know, it was confirmed. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, I, I mean, when they say it's looked at by a human being, I'm never quite sure how close you have to get to categorise for that. Because the one that I had that was not renewed on appeal was one I did on Bill Gates some time ago. And when I looked at the details of it, it was said, you know, well, human beings looked at this and it's confirmed as, as, as bad. And I was thinking, well, this is bonkers because that video was actually an excerpt of another video that didn't get demonetized at all. So I looked more closely at what they said about it. And they said that it had been demonetized because of their rule against pranks, you know, um, <laughs> violent, jokey, prank kind of content. And I was thinking, sorry, was the person on drugs who looks at this? Because I have never done anything with pranks in them. So uh, maybe they just hit the wrong button or something and they really meant to hit the subversive content button. I don't know, but that was obviously a mistake. But, of course, once it's been reviewed, then that's that. What was was that clip that we played about the... the the person in charge of um, censoring stuff. Get, <laughs> oh, no, it was the, the CEO, Catherine <laughs> Wojcicki. Oh, yeah, and she did she win an award for free speech? Freedom of Expression Award a couple of weeks and ago, she, yeah. She, yeah, in speech, she took down... She said that she mentioned that she took down 9 million videos a quarter or something like that. Yeah. So wow. 
I mean, if 9 million videos are taken off, then I'm not really sure that they have the staff. I know it's a huge corporation to individually check every video, do you think? 9 million? Yeah, that's what I mean. Not everybody's going to appeal a video being taken down, though, is it? are they? But do you know what I mean? Some of those, I suspect, will be that they took channels down. Right. Okay. And so hundreds of videos associated yeah. with a channel all disappeared at once. Yeah, there's several channels that I occasionally watch where they've had several strikes. Uh-huh. And if you get the third strike, then that's it, your channel's gone. Mm-hmm. And some of those channels had you know, many hundreds of videos on. So I can imagine it gets bulked up with those kind of hits. Yeah. Yeah, we know, we know a few people in the sort of alternative media community who've, who've just had the, the channel wiped and had to start again. And luckily, yeah. if they have a decent following on Twitter or something, they can sort of get a leg up with the new yeah. channel. But I'd, I just wonder if there's a future in this, you know, because going back to Odyssey, it seems that there is no censorship there. There's no ads from what, from what I can tell. And I think when the Android, um, there's already an Apple app, but when the Android app comes out, I might yeah. see myself migrating over there permanently. Well, of course, the, the, the challenge is that what YouTube offers is a system that is very well designed to promote content. So if you want to grow a channel, which is obviously mine was doing up until a month and a half ago, and, and you can see the difference. So my channel was growing by 100 subscribers a day before it then suddenly got hit by this you know, digital COVID that meant it's been laid up in bed ever since. And that's the difference. You know, with YouTube working for the channel, I was getting 100 new subscribers a day. With it ignoring the channel and doing nothing to promote it whatsoever, as far as I can tell, uh, it's getting zero new Well, more or less zero new subscribers, if effectively zero. So that's that's the difference. Now, Odyssey is great, so I, I set it up as well. I think following your recommendation, actually, I think you posted in the comments of one of my videos and recommended it, and I had a look, and the thing that appeals is obviously it automatically copies over. So you upload something to YouTube, but it automatically then appears on Odyssey. So yeah. it's effortless in that regard. But, of course, it doesn't promote content, so the, the views there are minimal. And if you want to reach an audience, then, of course, the big platforms, that's what they do. There is an angle, um, sorry, there is an angle with the uh, the cryptocurrency with Odyssey where um, uh, by using the platform or charging microtransactions of cryptocurrency to gain uh, the library coins, you can then um, invest, if you like, those tokens in your content. And it improves the uh, what would they call it? The something score. The um, I, can't remember. I don't know the name. Uh, sort of, it's uh, help me out. No, I can't remember. No, <laughs> no can't it's remember. your uh, your leg- like legitimacy of the channel. So, yeah. so there is a way of of sort of making your content look more favourable to Odyssey by using the the currency that is on the platform. But again, I think it's probably a slow burn. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess it is. And, and the key thing is, where does the audience currently go that hasn't discovered you yet? And yeah, Odyssey may grow as a platform, but ultimately the, the problem with these alternative platforms is that you end up going there when you've been chucked off the other one. Mm. 
Whereas if you're just a viewer, you go to where you see the most content and that's the big platforms. So although certain content creators might take a percentage of their viewers with them, and it's only ever a minority as far as I can see, because there's one or two that have got very loyal user base bases that got semi thrown off and they set up um, possibly not an odyssey on rumble, I think. Yeah. And they only took about, I mean, they pushed it hard, and I think they managed to take about one-tenth of their audience with them. So you might be able to take a few of them with you, but ultimately the attraction of the platforms is that it's a route. If it's working properly, it's a route to a larger audience. And, you know, obviously that has its attractions as kind of one of the things that makes producing content worthwhile because a lot of work goes into it. So, you know, of course you want it to have the biggest audience you can get. But if the price of that is you're not allowed to talk about some pretty mainstream questions about, you know, pandemics that are raging through the world and everyone's talking about them and yet suddenly people are going to get twitchy about exactly what you're allowed to say about them, then obviously you then have to decide how much you're willing to self-censor and and what sort of risk you're prepared to take in being cut off from the access that platform gives you. And, you know, that, that is a difficult thing. I mean, I've, at the moment, I'm holding the line that I don't self-censor and I haven't gone into such egregious territory that I've been back to the wall and had to make a really hard decision. But, you know, I'm fascinated by the things that are the most problematic. So it's going to happen. I think the problem is, is that the lines are getting narrower and narrower in, in what's acceptable on these platforms as well. And uh, one of the YouTubers I follow um, is Dr. John Campbell, I think it is. He's, um, he's a retired doctor, and it's a big channel. It's just shy of a million uh, yes. subs. And he does a, a like a 30-minute update every day on the latest, um, his interpretation of the coronavirus data and whatnot. And he mentioned on one of his most recent videos that um, one of his interviews had been banned on Facebook. Um, and it's in, incredibly mainstream. I, I mean, pro-mask, pro-lockdown, vaccinate the children. You know, yeah. nothing controversial. He even said in one of his videos, and I clipped it, oh, I, better not, I can't say this because it goes against WHO guidelines or something. Oh, for goodness sake. I mean... Since when did the pronouncements of large bureaucratic organisations dictate what you're allowed to say in a public space? I mean, Alan, it, it the, is... the WHO is omnipotent. <laughs> <laughs> Infallible. Well, yes, well, it's um, it, it, it would be more convincing if it didn't keep changing its own mind about what it thinks about the world. Mm. And, you know, and there are interesting... So I did a video... Six months ago, uh, I'm sure that's wrong. I, I don't know if it was four months ago or eight months ago, um, about the origin of the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and, and yeah, the lab leak hypothesis, because there's a great deal of persuasive... It's not ever well. It, there's yeah, persuasive evidence, no proof, but but persuasive evidence, and a paucity of evidence that supports the supposed mainstream most likely explanation which is that you know it transferred from a bat 
via an animal or directly to a human being. There, there are a number of things pushing against that, but there is also no supporting evidence. They can't find the intermediary that you would expect to be able to find. The, you know, the, it didn't go straight from a bat to a human because it was so well adapted for humans by the time it kicked off. So it either went to a, a, a third animal or it went into a human and then quietly festered away in a way that didn't attract attention, which seemed highly unlikely, but, you know, it's another possibility. Or it was developed... It, it, it was taken from a bat into the laboratory and gain of research work was done on the, the natural virus to the point where it became extremely well adapted and then somebody had a bad day at the office and they've been covering up ever since. And there's lots of bleeding obvious rationale for that as well as some rather more sophisticated rationale for it. But eight months ago or six months ago, whenever it was, it felt like a dangerous thing to talk about mm. because Donald Trump had posited that you know, it had come from uh, the, the lab in Wuhan. So, of course, we knew that only crazy conspiracists would ever go there. But, of course, that isn't a very good reason because, look, whatever you think about Trump, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? So, you know, he heard somebody say something and he repeated it in a slightly garbled way. Well, yeah, the, the thing that he heard can still be right. So anyway, now I think it is slowly nudging more into the mainstream discourse since the WHO had its ridiculous expedition into China where they held a press conference before they'd even left the country saying, well, we've looked at all this sort of stuff and we haven't found an awful lot. We don't really know very much more than we did, except we do know that it's very unlikely it came from a laboratory. And you think, hey, what? And you ask, well, why? And they said, oh, well, we, we, we asked them lots of questions and they seemed, you know reasonably on board what what on earth are you talking about so that was so odd that you couldn't keep that out of the mainstream narratives and lots of articles started appearing saying yeah, this seems a bit odd and, and then of course the director general of the who himself then stands up and says yeah no it's nothing's off the table yet yeah and there was some interesting conflicts of interest with the team as well i think the guy leading the team actually well, no, the, the, it's slightly complicated because there were two different inquiries. The WHO one was led by uh, someone whose name I forget, but, but a member of the team is the person you're thinking of um, who had been involved with exactly the research that they were invest trying not to investigate in the Wuhan in the laboratory. A, in the actual lab as well. He was directly involved with the Wuhan That's lab. right, absolutely. And, uh, and, and he was then leading the other inquiry as well. So that, that, was, that was why it's slightly confusing who was leading what. Um, but he should never have been anywhere near it. And, and a number of epidemiologists, when they heard the news that he was involved, were like, that's crazy that's bonkers and yet you know you then produce a video that looks in a very sober and sensible way at you know, what evidence there is and what questions there are and which epidemiologists are arguing about which and what evidence has come up and and you just you don't know whether youtube is going to say well hang on a moment because who doesn't think that so you're off mate 
Yeah. And uh, and it's so so this kind of censorship question. It isn't just about what's allowed and what isn't. It's that when the rules are not clear, the urge to self censor because you're not quite sure where you are vis a vis the rules is overwhelming. And there's loads of people, you know, in the same way as loads of people won't say what they think because of political correctness and and you know the woke phenomenon equally now if you're on a platform like youtube and facebook and so on there's a whole bunch of people self-censoring because they don't want to be thrown off yeah insidious one of the other dangers it occurs to me is maybe things being censored retrospectively so you know five years from now if if the, the terms and conditions change and then all of a sudden you've made all this content and the rules change what's to stop them just uh taking it all down yes yes and, you know, there's certainly one or two I've seen who have had hits against them for videos that they'd uploaded six months previously or something. So, you know, at the end of the day, people will say, well, these are private companies and they can do whatever they want and so on and so on, which, of course, is true. But I think we're now getting to the stage where we're realising that that's not good enough because this is the public space now. Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, they are the public space. And so it's not good enough. And, of course, this is what we've been discussing with Facebook, with their very esteemed panel of outside experts to rule on mighty matters that are are, are too big for, for mere mortals like Mark Zuckerberg, such as whether Donald Trump should be on Facebook or not. And, of course, they've looked at that and then they batted it back and said, we don't know, it's up to you, mate. <laughs> so that was well worth the money they're getting paid, I expect. I mean, um, do you think that the big tech companies would prefer to be treated like a utility and regulated by the state? They would prefer that the controversy doesn't go anywhere near them. Because of advertising. They don't want it. They don't... You see, some people think that YouTube and Facebook are, are enforcing an ideology and they're seeking out people who think like them because they're ideologically of the left or whatever, whichever side they think they're on. I don't think that's the case at all. I think they just want to be left alone to make shed loads of money. And the problem is that the best way to make shed loads of money is to have advertising run against all sorts of things. And the trouble is that if your advertising runs against certain things, then a whole bunch of people complain and they attack you and it appears on the front page of the Times newspaper, which is one of the ones that tends to go after YouTube and Facebook on these sorts of things. So then they are into this world of pain where they want to tread the line as close to the line as they can because that will be profitable but they don't want to be dragged over the line by politicians but of course the politicians are fighting like cats in a bag largely because trump so effectively weaponized twitter and weaponized social media so they can't anymore ignore the fact that they are a campaign vehicle for politicians which means they can't ignore the whole crux of the debate around what is or isn't a public space and how should or should it not be regulated i do wonder i do wonder if there if there is a political bias a sort of left-wing uh silicon valley mentality i'm just thinking back to the the hunter biden thing right before the election when uh, that, yes. that story was well, shut see, down. The election was a special moment. 
let's put it that way, <laughs> because I think the particularly, yeah, Facebook and Twitter had been hit so hard in 2016 for, for what people said was their responsibility in Trump getting elected in the first place. And I don't think it's a question of left or right. I think Trump was such a uh, a different character. This was a different sort of uh, a, a political moment. They were all pretty horrified to think that, not that they had you know, been a channel through which it went, but that maybe they were responsible that if it wasn't for them, it would not have happened. And that was something that a lot of people found very difficult to, to cope with. So in that sense, yes, it was political. And then when Trump was going again, and of course, you know, it's always a very dirty campaign anyway in the United States at the best of times. But of course, 2020 was was even more special in, in many ways. I think they just decided that whatever happened, they didn't want to have that on their charge sheet again after this election. And so they did do some extraordinarily partisan things. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the mainstream media, the CNNs and the MSNBCs and so on, and social media were just astonishing in that election. I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't have a dog in the fights. I thought both of the main candidates were appalling. <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand how the biggest democracy in the world, actually, well, no, the, the oldest democracy in the world, let's call it that, India is bigger um, technically. How it could have dredged up these two candidates to be you know, the top of the pile for who was going to run the country. It just seemed to me to be utterly ridiculous. So I didn't really have uh, that much of a dog in the fight. And yet it was just horrifying to, to see how biased the coverage was. Um, and of course, as you say, with the Hunter Biden stuff, you know, which was a, you know, it was a crappy campaign tactic. Yeah, from Giuliani. Even if there was a, even if there was a story in it, you know, Rudy Giuliani was sitting on it until the tactical right moment where they were trying to then inject it into the the news press. I mean, of course, it was totally artificial in that regards. And I would have been asking serious questions of my conscience as a journalist suddenly seeing that. But ultimately, the way they handled it was outrageously biased. And that, sadly, is the nature of the beast there at the moment. Whether that remains the case for social media, though, I'm not sure. Because I think, ultimately, they're aware that both the Democrats and the Republicans could turn around to bite them at any time. And both of them show an appetite for doing it. So I think at the moment they're more on risk aversion than they are on batting for one side. There was, a, there was an interesting story out of India. I think it was it last week we covered it, the week before, about the Modi, the resign Modi hashtag. Yes. Did you hear about yes. that, that being pulled off Facebook? Yes. Well, of course, India's government has been very actively trying to censor the internet and this is, this is, I think, this is the main challenge we have. You know, we have to do some things about climate change, and it's all very important and so on. But I think the biggest challenge facing us in the short term is the growing temptation for us to pretend to be China. It's um, a bit late for that. All, <laughs> well, you know, we've all had a taste 
of what this feels like. We all pretended to be China when it came to locking up our societies. We didn't have to do that. And there was nothing... If you look back to the previous pandemics of time gone by, there was nothing automatic that said that we had to do exactly what we did. You know, behaviour change happens generally quite naturally when there's a dangerous pandemic around. Governments can facilitate and support that without having to tell people whether or not you should be eating a bloody scotch egg. I mean, for God's sake. Anyway, so you look at India. India and China are rivals. They are not in a happy coexisting space at the moment. But certainly India is looking with interest to some of the Chinese tools of control. And Modi has certainly tried to use some of those in, to, to try to suppress information about how bad, how bad the pandemic has been there over recent weeks. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, we, we're seeing these figures. And it's driving me crazy a little bit because there are some people who I respected quite a bit when, when all this kicked off for, you know, uh, critical voices, lockdown critical voices and so on, who I think has sort of, as the vaccines have come in and it's all started working, they've wanted to stay in the critical lane and they've pushed themselves further and further into an extreme position to do so. And I understand the the momentum that pushes you to do that, yeah, because you're always trying to feed your audience what they want and you can end up yeah, allowing your audience to push you into a corner if you're not careful. I regularly piss my audience off, so, you know, it's not a problem for, for, for me, which may be why my channel's not growing, but anyway, that's another <laughs> thing. Um, however, some of those people have started saying, you know, oh, well, you look at the figures for India and, you know, they're, they're nowhere near, you know, this is all just fake. It's all just things that are being fed us to keep us locked down and to keep us scared because of what's happening in India. And, and you've got to say, well, look, no, I'm sorry, you, you had some good arguments for some of this earlier stuff. But this is a really bad argument because India is not giving you reliable data. There are way more deaths that are going on there than they are admitting to. And we've seen the coverage of this in various places. Places, you know, not just in the ones that we're used to treating with several pinches of salt. You know, I'm sorry, if the government says, oh, there's only been 25 deaths in this village, but, you know, the crematorium has actually burned 75 people today, you know, and, and that's just one of three, um, you, you, you start to say, well, you know, the data is junk. So we know that countries where this has run rampant goes through a certain course. And we also know that India has slums with many, many people totally unable and not really culturally interested in socially distancing. So you should expect it to be at least as bad there as it's been anywhere else. Well, presumably worse because of the lack of provision. You know, it's still a developing country, isn't it? 
Well, this is a thing because they've been running out of oxygen. So people go to hospital. You know, in, in the UK, people went to hospital. They got oxygen if they needed oxygen. Some of them died anyway, and many of them recovered because they got the oxygen when they needed it. Well, India has been turning away more people from hospitals than it's been taking in over the last few days, by all accounts, by many different sources. Social media, people begging for, you know, all the people queuing up to get cylinders of oxygen because they're treating their people at home. You know, why are so many people getting oxygen? Because people are having to try and get through this at home. So all of the signs are there that, you know, the stories we're reading are true. You know, all the social media feeds and the, the hashtags and, the, 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 and, and Modi has been prosecuting people for tweeting that they need oxygen. Because they, you, all they did, I think they stopped doing that now. They've given up on 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 that side of it. Mm. But for a while, they were really trying to suppress any suggestion that the government wasn't majestically coping with all of this. And you just got to ask yourself, well, you know, how close are we to the position where we could drift into the bad habits? that we've said that we were only doing temporarily for the purposes of a pandemic over the last year or two. It's not so I think we're going to go full Stalin overnight, but once you've crossed a line, it's a lot easier to cross the line again. Yeah. And um, I was listening to Niall Ferguson. That's Niall Ferguson, not Neil Ferguson. Niall Ferguson, the historian, who's just published a new book about doom and... and um, major incidents through history, uh, pandemics and, and major accidents and things and how people dealt with them and attitudes to them and all of this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, and, and he was sounding the alarm that said, well, what we have done, and, and if you look through history of, of how this can work out, you often become like the enemy you've defeated and he says, and one of the things that we're doing right now is we're, ha we're having this conflict with China and, you know, there was some momentum pushing us to become like them, to cope with them. And that is, you know, let, let's not get silly about it. Let's not get, you know, oh, the elites are, uh, are just doing this and they're going to keep us locked down forever. I mean, all of those things are nonsense. But there, there is, is a real momentum that we should be paying careful attention to absolutely and our whole democratic system is based on convention if you listen to some of the stuff lord sumption's been saying and once those conventions have been broken there's no way back you know the only it's possible not... way back would be maybe if there was some sort of public inquiry and the overwhelming result of that was that this was a huge mistake if it is, I'm not saying it is, but once that convention, that line, like you said, has been crossed, it seems pretty difficult to roll it back. I think what would tend to roll it back in the absence of other pressures would be that once you've gone too far, there's a backlash. And by and large, you know, in the UK, we have a pretty solid, sensible centre that likes competence and dislikes ideology. You can't wholly rely on it day to day, but sooner or later it kicks back in and says, oh, we think this has gone a bit too far. Let's bring it back to the centre. 
Now, I think the UK's got that more solidly than the US has, and that's quite important because the US isn't a trivial you know, bystander that, that we don't need to worry about. But nevertheless, I, I do think that, that the core of that is that if, if all things are equal, but all things are not equal because we do have this challenge of China and we do have a challenge also of Russia, both of them have gotten a very effective modus operandi, which is that they've learned how to disrupt democracies. They've learned how to feed in um, the mischievous fake news, how to stir up, how to polarise, how to feed existing polarisation. They don't necessarily create the polarisation, but they can certainly stir it around and make it worse. And they've learned how to do that very effectively. And we are totally susceptible to that you know we will fall for that every single time as far as i can see you know i've done videos debunking uh, some of the conspiracist things that are out there that are very very easily disproven and yet people are so passionately taken up with the polarization aspect that they will ignore any facts any evidence in order to cling on to their assumption that the other side are up to something. Mm. You know, if you are in a polarised situation, seeing the other side as malicious and up to something is something you want to believe. So any little things that go in there to stir that pot, they will have huge traction. And they know that, and they've weaponized it. They've become very sophisticated at it. And so we can't ignore the fact that that is one of the things you're having to deal with at the same time as trying to draw back your own governments or your your, your own... It's not even the government. It's the instincts of the people. You know, the people desperately wanted to be locked down because they were scared uh, yeah but this is where the messaging comes in though you know then the the you know what was the uh no it went from this will be over to, from easter no three weeks to flatten the curve it'll be over by easter yeah. hand space yeah. space yeah. save yeah. lives yeah. protect the nhs we get this you know people i mean i don't consume i don't watch the tv or anything but people who are bombarded with this messaging every waking moment of the life, it's going to have an effect on them and their perception. But, you know, I think part of the challenge is that a significant body of the public have been very willing recipients of the message. Um, We we do live in a risk-averse society. You know, we fought world wars. That was a very long time ago. Very few of us are still alive who have any memory of that whatsoever. We have gotten flabby and soft since then. We have been living in a bloody health and safety culture (laughs) that has made us terrified of our own shadows, by and large. And so, yeah, actually, what we've discovered is that we are all scared of scary things. And we will happily be locked down by the government. And so what do we do with that information? What does the government do with that information? Boris Johnson isn't a natural authoritarian. He's a libertarian at heart. But, you know, he was accused of killing thousands of people by the likes of Piers Morgan early on. So he's also scared. He's also risk-averse. And so if the public wants to be locked down, he'll give it to them good and hard. It's something Boris is known to do. Um, 
Oh, sorry, I can't believe I said that. But uh, you know, so where where do we, where do we go with all of this? Particularly when there are malevolent forces stirring it up, trying to make it as bad as possible. And I don't think we any of us know the answer to that. One of the um, sort of the next steps in the mission creep of moving towards maybe a more Chinese system, which which seems obvious to me, is the vaccine passport system particularly if it's implemented domestically and i'm waiting to see what michael gove comes out with with his report i think it's due next week or very soon what's your view on on that on the vaccine passporting system and what are the chances of something being implemented well i think it's likely something will be implemented but i mean this was done in israel israel of course is slightly ahead of us uh, in terms of vaccinating the population it was introduced in Israel and almost immediately became redundant because it wasn't needed and the people who were then supposed to enforce it, the restaurant owners and the event holders, they didn't bother and the police didn't bother to enforce it and it just wasn't an issue because ultimately the, the main purpose for it was to provide an incentive to those who didn't much fancy getting vaccinated you know, fine, you don't want to get vaccinated, we're not going to force you, but if you want to go to that concert, you know, if you want to go into that restaurant, you know, if you want to regain the sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle, then you're going to need a passport. And so in that situation, you know, that that is the main argument for it as far as government's concerned. Now that's going to play more, I think, in Europe, where they have had populations that were more naturally vaccine hesitant than the UK, I think, has proven to be. And then some of whose politicians went out of their way, bizarrely, for what seemed to be very short-term, ridiculous political reasons, to actually stir up that vaccine hesitancy in what seemed to be an anti-Brexit drive. But anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. They may well be pushing hard on that and that may then will overlap onto us because for some reason the only thing the brits are worried about on all of this is where they're going to go for their holiday (laughs) which i'm not entirely sure i get how desperately crucial that has become in recent years but that seems to be the only thing we care about and all of this well the falkland islands is pretty chilly this time of year you want to go there. well yeah if you like penguins or whatever it is they've got out there that, that's uh, that's good who, do, who doesn't like penguins come on i mean you know so yeah the falklands the arctic i think uh, a few other you know prime locations and then portugal and I, portugal would be a lovely place to visit any other time than the next six months because it's just going to be rammed with the most obnoxious people who couldn't <laughs> care less and you know, I, I hope I hope none of the three of you are going to Portugal. <laughs> and if you are, I didn't mean you. Okay, but, you're going, aren't you, Amish Matt? Yeah, I'm going in half term somehow. Yeah, you'll be there. You'll be there, bright red, with your well, you, you know, your Saint family. George's flag wrapped round you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when when you've been, then you you can tell me whether or not some of the other people there didn't fit my description. 
we? Oh, <laughs> I don't think you can tell people if they look the same as you, though. That's the thing, isn't it? True. Yeah. Oh, dear. I was just taking it back to um, Lord Sumption um, and the identity cards. He mentioned, didn't he, something about um, after the Second World War that the, there was a similar thing where the enforced identity cards... Yes. Eventually, sort of like five or six years... I think he said something along the lines of about five or six years after the war, there was a case of someone ripping up their identity card and it was being arrested or reported and it being thrown out. It was rationing, rationing, rationing cards, I think, wasn't it? Well, there was, so I don't know if it's the same case. There was a case a few years after the war where I think the police asked to see somebody's papers to see their identification and they refused um, and then that went to court, and the judges then threw that out on the basis that this was wartime legislation. It was being used. Yeah, it was emergency legislation for war, and it was being used years later. And and yeah, that, that wasn't that, that simply wasn't uh, uh, how it should be. So I don't know if that's the same case that he's referring to there, but that's so. a very famous, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, it, it's a classic one that people are using to illustrate what has been seen numerous times, which is that emergency powers are slow to be handed back. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes they're not at all, and sometimes they are only reluctantly and late. And that's not a UK thing, that is a very standard thing of governments worldwide whatever their political complexion except for the total totalitarians because they didn't need to have emergency powers in the first place mm-hmm. you know so that's that's an absolutely valid point now i don't think vaccine passports is the issue with that i can understand why libertarians will focus on that in the same way some of them are focused on masks i think it's a bit stupid i think no, you know, putting a bit of cloth over your face is not the end of the bloody world. However, I understand why for some people it's for, you know, it's the first frontier that, that they see in front of them and it becomes very personal to them. And the vaccine passports is the next one in line. Mm. I just don't think it's going to be that important within the UK because I think the vast majority of people have been vaccinated. We're seeing it in terms of the numbers of deaths have gone right down. You know, now it's only the healthy 20, 30-year-olds who are going to be catching it. They're going to be getting vaccinated, many of them. I just don't think it's going to be an issue, therefore, because the motivation to have the vaccine passport, apart from going on your holidays, Uh um, isn't going to be that big a thing day to day. I think the bigger issues are going to be the things that happen a little bit less in full view, you know, we have big environmental problems. Why do people go on about plastic straws so much? You know, plastic straws are bugger all to do with our environmental problems, really. They go on about them because they're immediately in front of them. Yeah. And I think it's going to be the same with this. I think the rules that were brought in that get handed back, you know, don't get handed back or get handed back very reluctantly. The ones that will get handed back quickest are the ones that we care the most about that are right in front of us. But, you know, it's the ones that are a little bit out of sight but are actually really quite important where you really need to be paying attention, I think. Such as what? Yeah. Well, I mean, which in some ways... I mean, there may be 20 answers to that, but the thing that immediately comes to mind dovetails with our previous conversation because what we've had in terms of content, what you're allowed to say and what you're not, 
Mm. You know, what we have had has been much more intrusiveness about whether or not you're allowed to have a platform, whether or not you get deplatformed or demonetized, whether or not the mainstream media will allow you to um, you know, be interviewed in any way, shape or form. It used to be that that happened with relation to climate deniers. And we can talk about that because, you know, I'm very mainstream on climate change, but I think the, the whole thing about deplatforming climate deniers is problematic because how do you define what that covers? And you'll find that what is actually the 97% consensus on climate science and what is actually a whole bunch of outlier stuff and things that campaigners believe to be the science that are actually nowhere near settled, well, there's a whole bunch of grey areas in there. And do those get taken into account when people talk about that? As far as I can see, not very much at all. So again, you can get some very mainstream questions Mm. that deserve scrutiny, like... Joe Biden's plan, is it any good? You know, I've seen it suggested quite recently that, uh, you know, well, of course, as a journalist, you would expect to be, you know, promoting, you know, Joe Biden's plan and everything, but blah, 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 blah. If you really, hang on a moment, since when did journalists promote as a point of their duty as a journalist a politician's policy platform? Weren't they supposed to be holding power to account? (laughs) But oh, no, 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 because the other side are deniers. We therefore have to line up with this side. Well, okay, that's not a pandemic thing. That is a an orthod- a, a, an enforced orthodoxy thing, and I think that there was enough grit in the oyster to kick back against that. But then the pandemic came along, and then suddenly we had this other huge question that affects everybody's lives, where there was suddenly an orthodoxy that must be enforced. And more people got chucked off Twitter or had demonetized videos on YouTube and so on because they were talking about the pandemic than any other subject. Now, what's the next orthodoxy? You know, are we now into this frame of mind that says that there are certain opinions that are dangerous and therefore responsible journalists and responsible platform owners suppress certain uh, messages? And, you know, the messages might be completely batshit crazy. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, I think David Icke is completely off his head, allegedly. But, you know, should he have been removed from YouTube? I don't think so. Um, I think it's not how you're meant to deal with those sorts of things, you know. The answer to bad speech is more speech and all of that sort of thing. I uh, strongly believe in that. I thought we strongly believed in that. However... (laughs) You know, the thing that I worry about not handing back is this idea that there is an orthodoxy and there are dangerous ideas, not just wrong ideas, not just ideas of the people who are opposed, you know, the opposing view to me hold, but dangerous ideas that must be suppressed. Well, I'm, I'm worried we're not going to be handing that back. I'm happy to be one of the heretics who gets burned at the stake. Because you gotta you gotta voice different opinions, and it's an important point you raise. This uh, it is analogous the what you were saying, what we were talking about before about the infallible WHO, and if you go against WHO guidance on YouTube, you're opening yourself up 
for uh, for censorship and the same can be said for it seems climate change and it seems that once we're bored of the pandemic this is going to be the next big issue that's going to be thrust into the forefront of our consciousnesses again and it, you know I, I keep hearing this thing the science is settled and and i just I, it just grates on my bones when people <laughs> say that that's not the point of it no i, I you see I, I understand where he came from so you know, I've, I've spent the last two years looking at, you know, what are the best arguments against, what are the best arguments on, you know, where are the grey areas, what does the research actually say, what are the scientists themselves, where are they having vigorous debates, and where are they all saying, well, we all agree with this. And when you get down to the core, the essential core, that, you know, the world is warming, yes, um, it is warming because of CO2, uh, because of the increase in CO2, yes, and the increases are happening because of human fossil fuel emissions, yes. There are multiple strains of evidence that support those very, very core building blocks. Now, it's not that all of the rest then is fancy, because you know the, the models that have been produced, there are certain things that they are looking at you know, what will happen with very, very high confidence. Yeah. But then there's a whole bunch of other stuff we don't know. Yeah. And that's just the science. Then there's the policy. And this is the this is the real this for me is the real danger zone the the, the real gulf that we're going to fall down, because as far as the campaigners are concerned, there is no difference. If you don't accept their policy proposals, then you are denying the science, and that's just there's a big leap from there to say yes, there's a problem that we need to be doing something about. What should we do about it? That is another question that is always open for debate. That's what politics is for. What should we do? You know, we, we all agree that we don't want people to starve to death. We all agree that we think poverty should be reduced. We all agree that basically we want equal opportunities. We all agree on all sorts of things as worthy outcomes. And we fight like cats in a bag about how you achieve that in the right way. You know, and conservatives will say, you know, you set the system up and give people the maximum freedom and the outcomes will tend to support best outcomes. And and uh, people on the left will say that, you know, no, you need to plan your outcomes better because it's not going to happen by accident. And if you do it the other way, there's too many people who fall between the cracks and there's too many people who become too rich and you know, all this kind of stuff. Fine. That is the stuff of politics. That is the debate we need to be having. I worry about people saying, no, 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 we're not allowed to have that debate because there's only one answer to resolving this question and it's our answer. And I don't see journalists challenging that. Nowhere near to the degree I see. Um, I see activist journalists in the BBC and in many other outlets, not just the Guardian. You know, in all of these mainstream outlets, for whom questioning the policy is not what you should be doing. I'm about to do a video that will go live tomorrow from when we're talking uh, for, for this. It's live and now. Look- it's live now. <laughs> we're live now. Okay, so going going live tomorrow. <laughs> Um, which looks at a coalition of a lot of mainstream outlets that came together to come up with 10 rules of how you should be reporting on climate change. And it's aimed at mainstream journalists, and lots have signed up to it. Quite a few others haven't, but, you know, the pressure is to... This is 
the orthodoxy of what you should be doing. And it includes do not ridicule climate activism. And I'm sorry, but climate activists are not scientists. Climate activists do dumb things just the same as the rest of us do. And when they do, they should be held to account and sometimes even ridiculed because why not? Why would you get a free pass? You know, just because you say that you're doing something for the right reason. Well, we all say that. Yeah. You know, nobody says, aha, I'm, I'm, I'm out being nefarious today. I'm evil. No, of course not. We all say we're doing the right thing. Most of us believe we're doing the right thing, even when demonstrably we're doing something utterly stupid and counterproductive. You know, the Extinction Rebellion people who stopped commuters from getting on the tube train at Canning Town, they arguably were doing an extremely stupid thing. You know, people made that case. Now, you can defend that case, you know, and that's fine. It's worthy of debate, and that's all I'm saying. You know, nobody gets a free pass where you say you're not allowed to criticise these people, and yet there it was in the guidance. Not just don't criticise the science, that was in as well. Highly problematic because science is a process of arguing, you know, it's a process of observing and collecting evidence and then and then having a, a very, very critical scrutiny of the evidence and trying to disprove it. It's a process. It's not an answer. People don't get it. Yeah. And one of the big changes I noticed is the change in terminology. So we had the, the change to climate emergency, for example, in all the mainstream media outlets being filtered in. Yes. In the same way I mean, as climate change. I mean, it used to be global warming, and now it's climate change. Well, the, the, messaging the, changes. Those are, no, those are those are two different things. So the the climate change, global warming thing has been played up a bit by the sceptics, and it, that doesn't actually hold up to scrutiny quite as much because climate change and global warming have been used by by the scientific community since eighteen ninety six. Oh, but not in, not in the media, though, in the reporting. Well, no, this is, no, so this is the thing. So in terms of the scientific discourse, they uh, have a specific meaning. Uh, they can often be used interchangeably in terms of some of the modern discourse, but they weren't switched specifically um, with a nefarious intent. What the sceptics say is they say, oh, well, we got this period where it wasn't warming anymore, so then they changed it from global warming to climate change. That didn't happen. There were a couple of organisations, a couple of UN bodies, uh, US bodies, sorry, where they declared that they changed their policy, that they were going to use climate change because people got confused by global warming, the general population, their mainstream audiences got confused with global warming and they didn't understand that it also meant, you know, more floods and more hurricanes and these things. They just thought it just meant it got warmer and they said climate change is less confusing, so we're going to use that. And it was just a couple of agencies. Even though it's more ambiguous. Well, yeah, but at least then you know it's ambiguous. You know, climate change, you know you have to ask a couple more questions to understand it. Whereas if you you hear it and you think, oh, yeah, well, it just means it's a bit warmer. And I like warm weather, so why would I be worried? But that was just a couple of agencies. And 
they the, the skeptics who said oh they did that because it wasn't getting warmer well first of all it was uh, and secondly you know those agencies were not particularly big mainstream things they they just jumped on it and they turned it into a meme and it wasn't really valid however the climate emergency thing you know that actually is exactly what they were alleging then that's sort of that in practice now mm. in the, you know, a lot of the media outlets and some of the scientific community sadly have been drawn into the idea that this is the language that, that will win people over and i just think the scientific community shouldn't be in the business of winning people over and i understand why they feel they should be and i understand it's a difficult area if you are involved as a scientist and you see things that you think oh my god society needs to do something about this trading the line between science and activism it is a genuine dilemma i get that absolutely um but i think you've always got to stay on the side of the science which means that you don't create a perverse incentive to ignore evidence because you've committed yourself to a campaign position. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at some of the most activist scientists like uh, Kevin Anderson, who is the darling of the campaigners, the the extinction rebellion campaigners, he is one of the doomsayers. He is now, I would say from what I've seen of, 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 of his pronouncements, he is now compromised as a scientist because he has established, he's, he's pitched his tent with a very, very strong position. And, you know, in the same way we're talking about some of the lockdown sceptics, you know, some of the, 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 the people who had solid PhD medical epidemiological credentials who pitched their tent, you know, in a very, very specific place and then had to defend that place. And you end up cherry picking the evidence, not because you're nefarious, because as human beings, we just naturally do. We notice the evidence that reinforces our prior bias and we manage to miss the evidence that somehow doesn't and that is a danger scientists are aware of it as a danger i think the more of an activist you become the more of a danger that becomes and so i understand it's a really difficult dilemma you see the evidence and you know that society needs to do something about it ultimately it's not the scientist's job to decide what that should be michael mann climate scientist tells everyone that Carbon tax is the way. Well, I'm sorry, Michael. That is outside your area of expertise. You have an opinion about it. That's great. You're a citizen. Same as every other citizen. They're going to have their opinions about public policy. You're allowed that. But it's not you as a scientist that has that opinion. You as a scientist can say, you know, well, we've seen this effect in the atmosphere and this means that this is likely to happen here. But when it comes to what should we do about it, you have a voice and it is no more of a voice than any other voice. And the problem is the more of an activist you become, the more sceptical we then have to be about the science, and that's just the nature of it. Uh, just to bring this sort of full circle, uh, what you're saying there about scientists, individual scientists being fallible, being susceptible to their own psychology and peer pressure and securing funding and maybe the political views, all the more reason not to be shutting down opposing voices, like you were saying before, on, on the whole range of issues. I think that's important mm-hmm. to underline. No, I think that's right. I think democracy is only is a, is a system that only works because it enables challenge, yeah. and that is the whole point of it. And science 
only works as a process because it welcomes challenge. You know, most sides, and you know, there's different flavors of this. So some of the skeptics will say that people are always trying to shut them down. And to some extent, what they don't, what, what you can't see at first glance is the difference between a proposition that has no scientific credibility and so isn't published in peer-reviewed journals because it has no credibility and those where you have an orthodoxy that's simply being maintained by you know, a, a, a boys' club that are just trying to keep opposing ideas out. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to tell the difference from the outside between those two. And the sceptics will always say, well, you know, they're trying to keep us out. I have looked at a lot of the sceptic arguments with an open mind, trying to see, okay, what are the best arguments? And you know, one or two of them were, were really quite good arguments. And an awful lot of them are dross. And sometimes very learned people who were great physicists come into this field and attach themselves to dross and people say no 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 yeah these are these are great scientists they're 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 learned people so we must be taking their word seriously how can that be well there is a phenomenon that has actually been observed outside of the climate issue because in the climate issue it all gets politicized but outside of there there's also been a phenomenon where you know great physicists will then wander into somebody else's territory and assume that it's easy and assume that you know the various people who are practitioners in it are somehow drongos and i I was reading this you know uh, uh, somebody put it this way uh, only the other day um about this known phenomenon about very very smart people who move outside of their area of specialism and assume that they're still smarter than everyone that they then deal with and it's a trap that you can get into so it doesn't mean to say that they must be wrong but it does mean the fact that they're learners in one field doesn't automatically transfer into another field and this is one of the challenges because some of these skeptic arguments are dross they are nonsensical if you look at any of the streams of evidence they just don't they don't go anywhere near to explaining so for instance one of the reasons why we think that the greenhouse gas is creating global warming is the phenomenon whereby the troposphere the lower atmosphere is warming but the stratosphere which is the next layer up is is cooling which is what you expect if the heat is being reflected back down because of CO2. That's a very layman's term description of what's happening. But the heat isn't getting up to the stratosphere, so you expect that to be cooling as the the troposphere is warming. Whereas any version that says, you know, oh, well, it's happening because the sun's, we're getting more solar radiation. Well, that wouldn't work that way. You know, you would get warming in both layers rather than just the bottom layer. So it's things like that, where the observations that you can see that aren't disputed, that fit the, the, the what we know about the greenhouse gas theory of climatic change, and demonstrably don't fit some of these alternative explanations that people come up with. Now, that's fine, but you wouldn't expect peer-reviewed journals to then start publishing papers that ignore observed evidence and just put stuff forward that is demonstrably known by the community to have no validity. Now, how can you tell the difference between that and a clique that's formed around an orthodoxy where they're protecting their own 
self-interest. And, of course, from the outside, it's quite hard to do. Um, that said, you know, the, science, the way that science is done does tend to favour if you've got a really strong piece of evidence to upset the orthodoxy, there's fame and riches and Nobel Prizes down that route. So, you know, some of the sceptics who say, they're all in it together, they're all defending their grants. You mentioned grants. Yeah, it's all about the grant funding. Well, actually, the incentives don't really work that way because in every other field where it's not politicised, they fight like cats in a bag over these things, and they try to disprove theories all the time because that's where the fame lies, if you can do that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than some would like to make it out. However, any community, scientific community is the same as any other, of course, is full of imperfect human beings who do some things for the right reasons and get unintended consequences, sometimes do things for perverse incentives and do it for the wrong reasons, and we all just get along as well as we possibly can and try to make sense out of it. Yeah. Well, Mal, we've, we've blown over an hour already. I don't know where the time's gone. Blimey. We're going to have to uh, wrap up again. Mostly uh, me waffling on like a windbag, I suspect. But uh, No, it's, uh, it's very interesting, and it's good to talk to you again. Um, the links will be in the description, eavesdroppers. Please check out Malin's um, channel on YouTube and Odyssey. Are you on any other platforms other than them two? I those are the those are the two reliable ones. Um, I have a Facebook page where, at the moment, I simply post content that uh, appears on the YouTube channel. I do have ambitions to do more there, but you know, I have ambitions to do twenty things, so uh, <laughs> nineteen of those are not going to happen. Uh, so yeah, those are the, the main ones. There's uh, the website manandbaker dot net. Uh, you can sign up to the emails, which have been in abeyance for the last couple of months, but they will be coming back and when the deplatforming is going on, then that is the most reliable place because you will continue to hear from me regardless of what happens anywhere else. Absolutely. Well, just hang on the line for us for two minutes while we play ourselves out. Good to talk to you again, Malin, and uh, links will be in the description, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Don't touch that dial. Cheers. All right, then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That was our chat with the legend. That is Malin Baker. <laughs> yeah. Ultimate legend, Malin Baker. Malin Lilica. Easy for you to say. Malin Lilica. Yes. Uh, don't forget to check out the links in the description for uh, yeah. Malin's content. They're really good. He's, I enjoy his videos. Yeah. yeah. And half an hour normally, aren't they? Or less? Yeah, give or take. Yeah, it depends on the subject matter, I guess. And yeah, about the right length for yeah, yeah. your attention span. Yeah. Anyone. And he does a, a Friday video, which is like a roundup news roundup. Yeah. It covers the uh, the biggest stories of the week or the mo- most controversial stories, and um, you'll find you'll find his videos insightful and illuminating. Yeah. So check him out. Yeah. Do I sound weird? I sound weird in my head. Maybe it's my ears. All right, whatever. Housekeeping. Housekeeping.
This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. You know, this is such a crock of feces. Uh, loads of ways of returning value and becoming a producer. Give up your eavesdropping ways and become a producer of the Armist Inquisition. How can you do that, Matt? Um, you could send us things like stories. Sorry, I thought you were going to press something then. I think I had a jingle for stories. I had a jingle for everything tonight. I'm sorry, I'm... Uh... Well, the thing is, what do you do? You're caught between the devil and the rock at a hard place. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could um, do some artwork. How many pixels? Amish Ben. 4,000 square, I think. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> between 1,400 pixels squared and something else. <laughs> Four thousand, I think, is the max. Okay, it's your funeral. <laughs> and Corn Pop was a bad dude. Yeah, just send us some artwork, man. Buy some uh, merch from the Amish loot chest. Link in the description. Like Slicko eighty two or whatever his name is. Slicko eighty three. Get it right. Ah, oh, fuck. It was Slicko eighty two sent us the uh, dick pic, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Slicko83 uh, purchased an Armist Inquisition mug from the Armist loot chest, and you can also get your... Because I'm literally a communist. ...hoodie or your... Currants. Grape. ...t-shirt from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Or, point. or the Odyssey channel. Yeah, oh, it's all about Odyssey now, isn't it? Yeah, we'd like to point people from YouTube to Odyssey... And uh, you can mm-hmm. earn free crypto. Free money. And then give it us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, jingle requests. Maybe you'd want a jingle request. Yeah. Five pound fee. Or send us a jingle. Yeah. Maybe you'd want some sort of mashup like... Uh... Raisins and sultanas are both dried forms of what fruit? Asna! Karant. Sarilumab. Karant. Cunt! Grape. Chest feeding. I don't know. Use your imagination. Yeah, hopefully it'll be better than that. All right, all right. right. (laughs) Oh, fuck off. Hang on. (laughs) Give me a a minute. Let's try this one. I got hairy legs. I'm literally a... Fucking vegan. There you go. That's better. All right, yeah. Boom. Made sense. Yeah, that's five pounds worth right there. Yeah. Yeah. How else? Followers on social media. Yeah, um, oh, send us. What did we say? Send new stories. Did I say that? That's the first thing you said. <laughs> I thought so. It's like five minutes ago. Yeah. Word of mouth. Yeah. Tell people mm-hmm. if you find this tell. this podcast valuable. Tell someone you love. Don't be ashamed that you listen to the Amish <laughs> Inquisition. Tell, share. Oh, don't be ashamed, even if you're I'm literally a communist. I think we got an, a review. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, we got a new review. Well, while, while, you're, while you're looking for that, you can send us video clips, audio clips, time stamped if it's a long video. If you find something on YouTube or in the news that you find is weird, funny, insightful, peculiar, send us a link via the usual channels with a time stamp if you feel that this deserves amplifying, and we will gladly do that to you. That's one of the best ways to become a producer, providing content. 
for us. <laughs> you know, that's how you get your name. That's how you get your producer credit. These are real credits. Put it on your right. LinkedIn. Here we go. Um, Nostro 75. Um, great podcast from a bunch of guys from Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wink, wink, winky face. Definitely give it a listen. Because I can smell whore. I can smell whore. From Liverpool. It's, I don't understand. Well, Why? it's close, isn't it? It's close enough, I think. The Isn't northern hemisphere. Incident all yeah. the capitals. So all over YouTube that now, Nostro seventy five. Wow. <sighs> Alright. Okay. We're, we're not actually That's good. We like we like uh, reviews. Reviews are yeah. helpful. Always are. Yeah, follow us on social media. Send us memes for Instagram. If yeah. you find a particularly uh rich vein of memes, send them our way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is that it? Email us at the Inquisition at gmail.com. That's uh, one of the methods of communication, one of the avenues. Uh, I think that's it, isn't it? What about um, monetary donations, Phil? Um, so yeah. it's, <laughs> I, I don't know. There's PayPal. There's um, that other thing. <laughs> And uh, there's tossing us a coin directly into Toss our faces. Toss a coin to the witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, oh. Toss a coin to your Yes, witcher, very much appreciated. Oh, Do it for... Lads, lads, lads. Give the lads a coin. It really bothers me. It does bother me. We don't get enough monetary donations. But yeah, the PayPal button is at the uh, top of the website, theomnisinquisition.com. And you can sign up for a monthly or a one-off recurring donations, no matter how small. It gives us a base, a platform, a way of budgeting, mm-hmm. and uh, sec- provides security. It's like a warm, fuzzy blanket enveloping me. Yeah. Coins. <laughs> just, it just pays for, you know, Zoom and stuff, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's someone's birthday today, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Um, it's not, not my birthday. Yeah, it's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. <laughs> Walked into that one, didn't you? <laughs> Beautiful. Love it. Thanks, Thanks Nige. <laughs> yeah. Shall we uh, shall we thank the producers for episode one eight three? Yeah, go on. Yeah, I think it's time. It's time to big up the man Dems, yo. We have, for episode 183, Nomenos Nodge, Slicko83, Anonymous, and everyone who bought merch this week. Thank you so much for your support. You're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their... Chest feeding. Love. Literally. The best mate. People are suffering. (laughs) Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them! Come here, goosey big. No, they can't. This was the vice chair's here. I take charge. How dare you! I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am gay. 
the dwarf, the currants, the grape, the homophobe, the winds, the misogynist, the uh, tosilizu mab, the fucking vegan, the root to liberty, the lion dog face pony soldier, the asna, the corn pop cunt, the devil in the rock and a hard place, the number 11, the special deposit, the big stud, the blind man, the communist on the horizon, the cripple and the mother of from like a judgment day and terminating. Yeah, thanks for your support another week. I think that was a epic dub. Happy with that. <laughs> right. I can't have children with the war. COVID 19. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. Oh! You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating mode It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal. Anal swab tests in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. And of course, I'm getting bored and want to have fun. I can't save you if you're not wearing a face mask. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Not a big week on the COVID news, thank God. Oh, yeah. I'll be glad when I can put that frigging jingle to bed, man. We'll have to do a climate change one um, (laughs) immediately afterwards. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, fuck, I haven't got it. I haven't got it on the board. <laughs> I have one. I have one. Climate changes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's not much COVID news, thank God. But there's been a change in the guidance from the JCI, JCVI, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, I believe it's called, on the AZ vac- vaccine. And uh, here it is. Building on our previous advice related to those age... 30 years and under, we now advise that unvaccinated adults aged 30 to 39 years who do not have an underlying health condition that puts them at higher risk of severe COVID-19 should be preferentially offered an alternative to the AstraZeneca vaccine where this is possible and only where no substantial delay in access to vaccination might arise. Yeah, so that's um, a fairly big difference. I think most people saw this coming, really, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, what is it? Four, under, it was under 30s, it's moved up to under 40s. Yeah, yeah, they've just moved it up a decade. Uh, it wonders, that, sorry? I was going to say, they say it's preferentially offered, but I know of a few people, Amish might, you might be one, I can't remember my sources, but there's independ- three independent sources I know have been rejected or oh, no, uh, no people who've been rejected had it cancelled or yeah had it cancelled and um, they've not been offered the AZ vaccine at all so they've gone no we'll cancel it because it's AstraZeneca that's not what the guidance has just said but that seems to be what's happening at least yeah. in Preston all these three people have Preston-based. Yeah, so. people who've heard boots on the ground reports. We've heard of people mm. who've had text messages through saying uh, who were down. I think I think all three cases were down for the first jab. 
and it, jump, yeah. and it had been uh, cancelled. Now, from what I, I listened to more of the press conference, and it said that if someone under 40 had had the first AstraZeneca jab, they would just get the, the second one. We don't... Yeah. They're working on this mix and match policy, but it's not been given the okay yet. So, uh, as far as I'm aware, if you've had the AZ vax and you're under 40, the first dose, then uh, you'll get the second. But it's not what we're hearing from Boots on the Ground, is it? It's that things are being cancelled. So, it looks like this might affect the rollout, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Maybe that is why they ordered another 60 million doses of Pfizer last week for the youngsters. Is there no um, so is there no evidence of this clotting in the Pfizer one then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is all Pfizer marketing PR. That there's more blood clots with the Pfizer and the Moderna, um, but they go in different mm-hmm. places. It's not sort of it's venal. It's uh, Splanchnik um, blood clots, <laughs> uh, leg blood clots. Yeah, I think if you do like the the risk factor for blood clots, you're more likely, I think, to get them with Pfizer and Moderna. I might be wrong. <laughs> but um, that's what Dr. John Coleman, uh, Dr. John Campbell was saying. All right, okay. Yeah, it's a it's, bit uh, weird then, isn't it? But... Well, no, it's just Pfizer have got the best marketing department in the world. They're just, they're just fucking each other over. Yeah. So then the uh, University of Oxford, I imagine. Well, the, you know, the whole reason it's the Oxford AZ vaccine, that's, that's marketing. The pharmaceutical yeah. company ties itself to an academic institute to give it a... a a veneer of, you know, credibility. Yeah, yeah. It's all marketing, man. But you know, it's uh, it, well. I say it's marketing. The risks are real for people in these younger age groups. So, you know, maybe the right decision has been made. But uh, mm. I don't know. See what happens. I mean, they were. AZ, it's been paused now, but AZ were doing a trial in children. Why was it paused? They don't know. Oh, I don't know. Why would it have been paused? I don't know. I wouldn't want to speculate. That's what I mean. No. No. But, I mean, it seems sort of pointless, doesn't it? If we're not going to give it to under-40s, why would you do a trial with children? Yeah, maybe, sure. maybe that's why it's been paused. Maybe I think maybe that is why it's been paused because it's redundant for that age group. Now the uh, Pfizer trial, I think, is complete now for the twelve to sixteen 12. year olds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, over twelve. Yeah, yeah. So we're expecting the FDA to give that the the push next week. Emergency push for the twelve to sixteen, and then they're, they're also going for the full, uh, full release, uh, non-emergency um, approval from the FDA next week at the same time. I believe that when I see it. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I think. Oh, well, I wonder if that's anything to do with um, therapeutics. Mm. That push, that hard push. Why would you? Why? What's the motivation to go for uh, full approval? So you can more easily use the technology for other vaccines for you know scaring modifications or you know booster or something new. If something new comes along, if they want to use the technology for a malaria vaccine or 
an AIDS vaccine or any, any other oh, disease so, that's out there. So the approval doesn't cover this specific vaccine then? It does, but once it's once that approval's in for that vaccine and the technology behind it, it sets a precedent so it becomes easier for you to uh, reuse that technology for, for future vaccines. You still have to go through the approval process. Yeah. But that portion of it where it's, oh, this mRNA stuff's a bit weird, uh, you've already set a precedent that it's passed so that, you know, it becomes less of a, a hurdle, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, be interesting to see. I mean, the emergency use authorization can't stand if there is a approved therapeutic. Um, that's right. Not, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's Ill- that would be illegal. That's why. Well, no, that's could be why we're not hearing about ivermectin and other things. Ivero. Iver. Iver. Ivermectin. Ivermectin. I don't know. Yeah. There was an interesting message from um, Granny Killer in Chief Cuomo, Governor of New York. This oh, yeah. week. Forget about it. Yeah. Who are the groups who are targeting on the vaccination? Youthful and the doubtful. And there is an attitude that they'll be fine. Why should they take the vaccine? Maybe you will get a long-haul syndrome that we're not really sure what it is yet, but a lingering consequence of COVID. Or maybe you go home and kiss your grandmother and wind up killing your grandmother. Well, you know, she got like a 95% chance of surviving. <laughs> hey, some grandmothers are pretty young these days. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Even... Yeah. Was it not something like, you know, even if you were in the, in, if you did get it without the vaccine, you had like an 80% chance of surviving? 80%? I think a 99 year old would have an 80% chance That's of surviving. That's what I mean. Sorry, yeah, like an. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just goes up as you, as you get older. The, uh, the chance of you dying goes up amazingly. It's yeah. weird, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Ben, you missed uh, the new vaccine slogan from the UK government last week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, from, uh, from, Ma- from Mancock himself. In the words of our new campaign, every vaccination brings us hope. Oh, my God. Just did a little bit of sick in the back of my throat. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got an alternative. Hope. Mask. <laughs> Kneel. <laughs> Kneel before Zod. I think that'll stick. Silly catch, yeah. Hope, Mask, Neil. Hope, Mask, Neil. Should be Hope, Nas- Mask, Neil Ferguson. <laughs> I was, tra- you know, when uh, Malin was talking about scientists getting out of their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of a, a really competent physicist like Neil Ferguson getting mixed up in epidemiology. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Help me. <laughs> 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 Should we do some uh, some cancel culture stuff? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Disney's been catching some shade this week. Oh, yeah. Off yeah. CCC. Yeah, well, I mean, nasty, you know, nasty pedophile Walt Disney. Yeah, fine, but I mean, <laughs> is there, um, allegedly is is there even more messages now on beloved children's Disney films? 
Oh, this is the new ride experience at Disneyland. The uh, the snow the new Snow White ride. Oh it, right, okay. It's it's problematic. <laughs> Disneyland is back open in California, and it turns out they recently revamped their classic Snow White ride. But not everyone is happy about it. Now the ride ends with the true love's kiss scene, which some argue is very troublesome, mainly because Snow White is unconscious and cannot give <laughs> consent I'm not for the prince to kiss her. Of course, it is the prince's kiss which does indeed break the curse and save Snow White's life. But the two had not previously met. Have you guys ever really thought about that? <laughs> so do you think this scene is troublesome now that you're thinking it through? And should it be included in this story, even if it gives kids mixed messages about consent? One other little caveat for you, Erica Cobb. Uh, Snow White is believed to be 14 and Prince Florian, 27 to 31. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, all right. Yeah, there's also dwarves, seeing dwarves. <laughs> Forced labor. Forced to do labor. Yeah, but um, does she not like talk to the fucking animals as well? <laughs> high as a kite. <laughs> yeah, but what um, are the messages you're sending to our children? Where's the. It's okay for this creepy 30 year old to unconsensually kiss a 14 year old princess. Yeah, I mean, probably sh- happened in, in the Middle Ages, though, didn't it? You should I mean? have just let her die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the alternative, isn't it? Yeah. Plenty of other fish in the sea. <laughs> oh, what you could do... <laughs> Under <is> the sea. <laughs> no. No? Um, he could have got that app, couldn't he? What The app? consent app. You used to fingerprint to unlock her iPhone. Finger what? <laughs> and get consent that way. Right? Okay. Yeah. Job, job done. Sort of, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't sort of uh, jive with the whole fairy tale thing. Exactly. I just, that's what I mean. I just, it winds me up that people get angry at this stuff on Twitter. All oh, right. Okay. And try and cancel it, you know. This is a new story now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was another uh, big um, cancel culture story. Who would want to work on the set of Doctor Who? Oh, yeah. Oh, there was penises flying around, wasn't there, 10 years ago, apparently? Well, it started off with Noel Clark, didn't it? We had yes. the story of Noel Clark a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Um, Busy hands. And then, yeah, it surfaced this weekend about, um, about John Barrowman. But this is... Go on, then, you put the thing. What? Just play it. Have you got a clip? Um, I'll tell you no. what, I have got some footage emerged of like a, a Comic-Con from okay. like oh, ten, yeah. 10 years ago. And it's one of these, um, do they call it a panel? It's a panel, isn't it? Panel. Yeah, so there's uh, Noel, not Noel Coward, Noel Fielding. <laughs> Bad dogs and Englishman. Noel Clark, who's oh, the guy God. who's recently been in trouble for uh, 20-odd women have come forward, haven't they, and said that yeah. he's been doing bullying and all sorts, allegedly. Uh, so there's him on the panel and two female sort of backroom staff of the of the Doctor Who thing. And uh, it's interesting that this is surfaced. I have the clip. Did uh, did Mr. John Barrowman sort of bring some levity to the set? None at all. None? No. Not serious? <laughs> He's a terrible, terrible man. <sighs> no, all, Hard work. All the time. I mean, he... he the, the guy is all, all the time laughing and smiling and taking it out. <laughs> all the time. All the time. Do you remember the time you put it on your shoulder in the makeup drug? Yes, I do. In my... Yeah. <laughs> 
stands up at this point, Noel, with his mic, and he bangs it on the makeup woman's shoulder to uh, sort of point out what John Barrowman allegedly was doing. I, I didn't want to say. I was being really polite yesterday. But hey. John Barrowman, ladies and gentlemen. See that. Interesting that she says that I didn't want to say. Mm. A light teabagging. <laughs> That's what I was saying. When I, when you read that article in the Guardian about him, because that's who broke it, wasn't it? I think that I'm sure that was a video, and that was a picture of him with that microphone, like in his, in his groin, and him stood behind a woman. But then when you listen to the actual, I've not heard that recording of it. Um, what a story about Noel Clark or about John Barrowman? Noel Clark. So they used the picture of him talking that, about John that. Barrowman. Yeah, to, yeah. to yeah. justify his, his allegations of sexual misconduct against him. I'm pretty sure it was in The Guardian. I might be wrong. It was in <laughs> yeah, something. It was funny, yeah. And it was a picture of him like that with the mic. Oh, my God. In his groin behind her. And saying, look, this is how he... And this is something from 10 years ago or the thing. It being lewd there or something, you know. I just can't believe these fuckers, what they put in the um, stories. Yeah, when you actually listen to that clip, it's more, yeah. It's talking about, but apparently, sorry, going back to John Barryman, it, this all came out years ago. Yep. And he had to apologise, didn't he? Years yeah, ago. he said... Uh, I never sucked any ding-dongs. <laughs> the, uh, the Comic-Con clip goes on, because, um, well, this is... Uh, I don't think he'd get away with saying this today, Noel Clark, but this is what he says about how uh, John got away with it. For the record, any men out there, do not try that at work. <laughs> you will be fired and possibly go to jail. <laughs> so how could John Barrowman get away with it then? I think... It, I, it's honestly, adorable. It's adorable. Also, also, I think it's because he's, he is adorable and very lighthearted and stuff. It's because he's a gay man too. Like, you can... Am I, am I lying? He, this dude, is he gay? This guy... <laughs> And, and I, I feel like it's non-threatening, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. like, all these straight guys are like, yeah. damn it. Like, you know, you can't do that at work. You're going to jail. But John Barrowman's like, hey, come here, hey. <laughs> and everyone, everyone's like, oh, John, oh, John. Yeah, this is what I mean. It's weird, isn't it? Like, sort of putting a lens from today... Yeah, and things ten years ago. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he would even he would he censor himself from saying that today, wouldn't he? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Funny how things so. change, isn't it? Yeah. So quickly as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> We've been doing this podcast for nearly four years oh, now. Nearly four. Yeah. I wonder how much things have changed in the last four years. A lot. Yeah. Should yeah, we start? I don't want to listen to those first episodes. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should start deleting episodes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just keep them up for a month and then delete them. <laughs> oh, man. oh man, I was on the Out of the Blank podcast with Robbie, who came on our show oh, a few yeah. weeks ago. Robbie, Robbie Robertson. Robbie Robertson. How is he from Out of the Blank? He's very well. He was telling me about this thing. Um, called um, the 27 Club AI. 
and uh, it's this software group, company or whatever. They've recreated the music of Amy Winehouse, Jimi Hendrix, Nirvana, using artificial intelligence. What, like, what it, what it would have been? They've created it today. Amy Winehouse is dead. Yes, I know. Right? They've created a new Amy Winehouse song. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Sorry, are they kind of with saying computers? It, they've, they've used AI to kind of think of what they might have made if they'd not died. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a chorus from the Winehouse one. I have seen it all, but it doesn't show one bit. Mama never rests, except for when he says I'm going back on to the living. My man, I know it. My man, I know. It's pretty fucking mind-blowing, isn't it? It's all right, man. Yeah. Please tell me they've done them all together in, like, a supergroup. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's in that sort of uncanny valley. It's like uh, there's something missing. It's, yeah, there is, isn't there? There is. You can tell it's not it, quite there yet. But yeah, it's not even rest in peace anymore. <laughs> well, this is what I was saying to Robbie. I mean, this is you're fucking with these guys' legacy potentially with this stuff, mm. with this soulless stuff. I mean, the the big thing that's missing with the, the Winehouse one. It's a well constructed song. It sounds like an Amy Winehouse song. It sounds like her singing. But there's just, there aren't those little idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, is that the word? Yeah. In the in the performance, you know, it's too clean. It's not, there's something missing. And that's the best of the three. The Nirvana one's not bad. The Hendrix one, <laughs> sorry, you can't, computer, it just can't do it. It can't recreate. Genius, I'm afraid. Not yet, anyway. But it's an interesting uh, thing. You should listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll check them out. AI 27 Project or something. I think it's called the 27 Club. If you just put the 27 Club Winehouse into YouTube, mm. you'll find it. It's sort of interesting and disturbing in equal measure. <laughs> That's, I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm kind of not happy about it, but I'm happy that they can't do it. <laughs> they just can't. Yeah. Nail, they can't nail it, and I don't feel in their failure. <laughs> yeah, I can't see it. Out. Um, I'll tell you what else. Uh, Robbie opened my eyes too. He sent me on a, a rabbit hole of Mortal Kombat <laughs> fatality videos. Yes. <laughs> Have you seen these? Yeah. In, well, in what way? The new fatalities on the latest Mortal Kombat game. Uh, no, no, no. Like x-ray fatalities and stuff. Just the, the most brutal, gory things you've ever seen. Well, that's the whole point of them, though. I mean, I mean, on the Mega Drive, you used to rip people's heads off and all the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, and that was in the newspapers. <laughs> like, ah, oh, our children yeah. <laughs> playing these video games, so violent. They're so realistic as well. <laughs> yeah, but oh, you've got to see them. They're just, they've just taken it to the nth degree. With oh, these you're fatalities. Your now. My, my ball bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't care. I mean, if you want to watch it, you you, you can watch it. It's kind of right, okay. it's kind of interesting and gory and 
you know, I just it's it's just been taken to an extreme. That's the thing, you know. Mm. <laughs> I think Until we're... VR Mortal Kombat comes out and get your own head ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mortal Kombat. Maybe, maybe after the... to eleven, Matt. Mortal maybe... Kombat eleven, I think, is the latest one. Is it? Get over here! Combat. <laughs> maybe after the podcast, Matt. We're doing the podcast now. I'm pretty sure you used to have to put a code in to turn the blood on on yeah. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, like up, down, left, right, AC start. All yeah. fatalities all <laughs> you had to you had to put a code in to execute the fatality. Yeah. Yeah. There were some good ones back then, like yeah, Sub Zero was ripped ripped the heads off and the spine was spine was there, wasn't it? Well he would freeze them. He would freeze him and then you would uh, explode the frozen carcass. Like a, uh, so a man it with was. a a man with a big hammer is just smashed a, a man's head through <laughs> <laughs> through his own body. Oh, that was a nasty one. I we'll mean, put the link up, Matt. Yeah, they're all. We don't need an audio description. That was Shao Kahn. <laughs> Shang Tsung, I think, was the main guy, isn't he? The, the name boss. He was the demon guy. Yeah, oh yeah. no, I don't. There's a guy like called Kano with four arms. Oh. I want to watch the movie, the original movie. <laughs> and then the new one. <laughs> well, there's a new movie out, isn't there? There is, yeah. Mm. I yeah, watched the um, I watched the Critical Drinkers review of it, and he oh, said yeah. it was like, if you don't want to lose any brain cells, you just want to be entertained over a few beers on a Friday night, then you might enjoy it. Oh, yeah. You know, don't expect anything uh, artful. Well, or we any... should go to the cinema when it's open and watch it and uh, do our own review. <laughs> Don't expect any story arcs or character development or anything, but if you just want to see blood and guts and brainless action then and a wather thin plot, then you may enjoy it, particularly if you played the games and you've got some sort of attachment. There's sort of nostalgia value, isn't there? The scene, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, Sub-Zero and Scorpion mm, and... Kang. Luke Raiden. Kang. Raiden. Christopher how come, Lambert. How come you can see someone CGIing, having their head being pounded into their own torso and then oh, yeah. out through the bumhole? But my video gets, or our video gets taken down because I make a joke about Prince Philip dying of something. Because you've got to get the orthodoxy. Matthew. You've got to get the orthodoxy. So it's okay for this hyper violence, yeah. but not for my hilarity. No. You if you'd have said Prince Philip had his head ripped off <laughs> by uh, a COVID vaccine uh, volunteer. Uh, this video down. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe oh. it would have been all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not particularly enamoured with going to see the film. I think uh, movies based off video games, Tomb Raider. I mean, they just generally just don't work, do they? Super Mario Brothers. We still haven't. Yeah, exactly. We, we couldn't find one the other night when we were playing Disney. One that was actually good. Was well, there the, a video? The obvious um, exemption that proves the rule is uh, Street Fighter. Street, Street Fighter, yeah. Street Fighter really? from what year would that be? Maybe ninety seven ish. Street Fighter Two Championship Whoa. Edition was was no. the game that was out because it had the four new characters. Cammy was one of them. Yeah, played he by Kylie Minogue. English, 
and she was played by Kelly Minogue in the film. So early nineties, yeah, definitely would have been. Yeah, yeah. Well, ninety-seven might be right. Actually, no, it's not ninety-seven. Starring Jean Claude Van Damme, the muscles from Brussels. See, uh, probably the finest monologue ever committed to the silver screen. Did we not do this on the on the last podcast? No. Or is it, did we did no, you say this when song? we were in space? Yeah. Oh yeah. Nineteen ninety four. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, ninety four. Jeez. Yeah. The uh, the rallying cry. But the, made a uh, hundred million. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not Get bad. it out. That's Get it bad. out. Get Boson out or whatever it is. Boson. Boson. <laughs> <laughs> his fucking name is I didn't play it that much and Bison 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 was played by Raul Julia oh right I think it was was his last film before he died actually oh it was actually I think it was wasn't it pretty sure it was I remember I think he was I think he he was already dead when the film was released I want to say he was dead in the film (laughs) no I think it was released posthumously it was a oh. posthumous appearance, if I'm, I might be yeah, mistaken. His skull bashed in through his body. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> he probably ran over his own head or something. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Memories. Right then. Time we on. Oh, is that it? Are we done? Ten. Five past ten. Have you got your um, any? Is that it? Anything else to play us? No, I don't think so. All oh, right, okay. No, oh, finish. Well, should we keep it short and sweet this week? Because we've been doing three-hour. Yeah. Bastards. Who's on next week? Um, it's one you've booked in, I think. It is. Is it Micah? It might be Micah. Micah Dank. Astral. Astrotheology. Astrotheology coming in your ears. Next yeah. Oh, you said he was an astrophysicist. Oh, that's next that, month. No, that's someone later, isn't it? It's next yeah, month. Yeah. Yeah, astrophysics next month. <laughs> <laughs> astrotheology this month, astrophysics next month. Covering all the bases. <laughs> yep. Right. See you later. See you later. Bye. Uh, praise Shabalon. By receiving the vaccine, it's not going to affect their own health. How dare you! I drink. No, the carcasses of ice chairs here. I take charge. People are suffering. Fuck off. <laughs>